0: This is the Acts 2028 podcast, where two young Church of God pastors discuss the challenges and victories we face in leading revitalization. I am TJ Samuel. I am Brian
1: Seidel. I am in an urban context in Seattle, Washington. I am
0: in a suburban and rural context in Boise, Idaho. I am in a liberal state. I am in a conservative state. My ministry background is in missions. My ministry background is in youth ministry. And yet, we are both in our first lead role. Help God revitalize the existing church in the Pacific Northwest. We are helping each other. And you.
1: To truly live out Acts 2028.
0: 20, well, TJ, here we are again for our next episode. And, and here we're following up after our first guest. And so, hopefully, you enjoy that last episode as we heard from Jim Lyon and some of the wisdom that he brought from the churches he pastored and his perspective from general director of kind of a, a wider picture of, of where the church is at uh, within our church of God movement. But I think also applies to bigger, uh, you know, avenues, other churches, denominations, uh, those kind of things as well. Um, and, and by the time this airs, right, we will have been after Easter. And, and so we know that Easter can be, uh, a huge day, uh, weekend, right, for church in general. It is at the core, the center of our faith, right? Without Easter, at the, without the resurrection, Christmas doesn't even matter, right? Because then it's just, he was just another baby. So, uh, so Easter becomes kind of the cornerstone of that. But one of the things that we talked about with Jim that kind of came up in that conversation that I want to kind of go off on today a little bit more was um, what do you change and what do you keep? Uh, you know, how, and then I guess even in that discussion is how do you implement that change and how quickly do you do that? And those kinds of things. But I and mean, one of the things that Jim brought up was that in the churches, he had pastored that they had built new buildings, they had moved locations. They'd even changed the names of churches, uh, through that. And so now those are obviously sweet, be huge, big changes. Uh, and there's always some of those that might be, uh, possible or needed in some churches, especially in established churches that are, uh, in revitalization or, or, you know, in a Valley of, of that time. Uh, so as we look at, at Fairview, look at Oregon trail, uh, again, I, I didn't make any major changes like that. As far as we haven't moved locations, we didn't change the name of the church, but there have been a lot of changes, you know, at Oregon trail since I've been here. Um, and how about you? What is like with Fairview? What's kind of been the first, first things that were on the radar for you?
1: Yeah. So I wouldn't say that there's been a ton of changes, more adaptations for survival probably would be a better representation of that. Like, um, you know, we talked about earlier episodes that we didn't have an online presence. And so really stepping into that and making things, uh, you know, more streamlined and available, uh, for those that attend church because of the pandemic. That's probably been the most, but you know, we were talking about that. Here we are you know, rolling in to Easter. And like you said, by the time this uh, gets out there, it'll be, you know, we'll be past it. But I find myself in a situation where historically uh, our church has hosted a sunrise service. Now it doesn't take place on our campus. It takes place down at a local park that's about you know, a mile and a half uh, from the church but it is done out of the instance that it is uh, intended to be an outreach to the community because people that maybe wouldn't show up at our physical building would come to a park and be able to utilize that but as i said i'm you know in year two already because of just the way it fell with how we got here it's not going to be until my third easter that i may even actually see that and you know see the relevancy and if that is something and realizing that even after a pandemic, is that the same way that people will come back to the same thing? I don't even know that that will be the case. So some of those, um, man, like you said, are, are gonna be in my instance, gonna be trial and error uh, because we've done it. And I say that in, in a nice way that it might not be that that has lost touch with our community, but that we may have to mend the way that we reach the community because some of those things have just kind of changed. Uh, And so the vein of building community in a community space may still take place. It might just look a little different. So acknowledging that the fact that uh, it might not need to die, it just might need to, uh, you know, with maybe the Easter uh, element, it might need a resurrection, right? Like something that has to kind of be revamped in that context that uh, it was done right. The heart was right. It just needs to do that. So yeah. I haven't had a ton of those yet, but we, you know, I'm sure we'll have more as we continue down this road.
0: Yeah. And, and like you said, just as we've already established, knowing that you came to the church right as the pandemic was hitting, which is very unique, but yet I think we can all identify with having to adapt and even just survive right through the last year. Yeah. Uh, But, but as we bring up though, like a sunrise service or or those Easter traditions, most churches have some very deep held Easter traditions. I mean, Easter weekend is, is typically right. One of the highlights of the church year. And I remember when I came to Oregon trail, um, Easter again, was one of those holidays that the church had some, some traditions and some histories. And again, I remember when I got to Oregon trail first took over that I had that question a lot from people of, Hey, what are we going to change? Or what are you going to change? What do you want to do? What do you not want to not want to do? Uh, in fact, I think one of the, the biggest questions I got was whether I was going to change the name of the church. And, and I think that again, was a, was a huge question. A lot of people asked that, um, and which, and we'll come back to that. Cause I don't want to miss again, the uh, the Easter tradition because what the other thing, major thing that got brought up right away was, was the sunrise service that Oregon Trail had traditionally done on Easter. Um, And just talking with the previous pastor from before me, kind of heard his opinion of that because Oregon Trail had done a sunrise service on our campus, uh, you know, at the church building. uh, And it was one of the regular traditions of Oregon Trail for, you know, Easter meant sunrise service. And again, I don't know how that started. I don't know why, you know. But that was the tradition of Oregon Trail when I came. And and yet, the the number one thing I heard from everybody in the church when they brought it up was how much they didn't like it, and how much you know that it, it was it was poorly attended. That uh, those that did go uh, didn't like having to go set up everything outside in the dark. It was always freezing. There, you know, there's all these things, but yet it was just, it was what the church did. And so they just continued to do it. And, um, and then after the sunrise service, they would have a service and those were there. Then they would do a breakfast thing, you know, inside the church after it. Cause, um, you know, because there was, I mean, a couple hour, um, kind of break right between the sunrise service and when they would normally have their normal Sunday morning church service. And so on Easter, they would do the sunrise service. They got to get all that. Then everybody come in, they'd eat breakfast, but there was enough time to where people would leave. And then they would do their regular church service at 11 a.m. on Easter. And it was one of the lowest attended Sundays of the year for Oregon Trail because all of the regulars would come to sunrise service because that's what we do, quote unquote. Right, and then they'd come to your breakfast, and then they would all go home and and either just not come back or fall asleep because they got up at three a.m. to get ready for you know or whatever. And so the the Sunday morning service on Easter literally was just basically attended by those in the church that didn't come to the sunrise service, which was very few, and it was also very hard on all the volunteer teams and on the pastoral teams and all that, right? Because they were there literally from super early in the morning to get everything set up, and you know all the way through their regular schedule on Sunday. Now, when I and I, as I heard all this, you know, it just, it really baffled me because every church I've ever been a part of that I've served at that I grew up in, like any of those things, Easter Sunday was always the highest attended Sunday of the year. And, and that was just what I had seen. Again, it was a huge evangelistic opportunity because a lot of people will come to church on Easter Sunday that don't come at other times. You know, we have kind of the, the running pastoral joke, right? About the Christmas and Easter crowd and that we have those that, that only come to church on Christmas and Easter, which, which is true. And for probably a lot of varying reasons, but um, but just in my observation and experience is that there were actually more people that would even come on Easter than even on Christmas. And for whatever reason, I don't know why that is, but we just saw that. And so I, I always saw Easter as a huge evangelistic opportunity. And so, yeah, I realized from what everybody, everything that everybody had said about the sunrise service was that it completely destroyed that opportunity Uh, again. And just that one service that nobody liked in the first place, um, was making Sunday morning non-existent, right. To where we were, I felt like as a church, we were missing that opportunity to reach out into our community and to bring new people to church and introduce them to Jesus. And, so again, that to say, we, we have never done a sunrise service at Oregon Trail. So that, that was one of those things that I just cut right away and said, you know you know what? I just, from everything that everybody said, because I, I, nobody shared a reason to keep it. right? And so I just kind of identified what everybody wanted to say in the first place. And, and that was honestly the experience and, and the feedback I got from people. Most people when I announced that we were not doing a sunrise service, most people were like, was a sigh of relief, right? Or they're like, oh, thank you. Now, one of the other reasons why I made that decision was because in our community, there was uh there was a community-based sunrise service that happened just a couple miles out in uh, you know, towards Marsing, toward out on the top of a hill, out kind of in this um, you know, public land, and that it was out, it's called Lizard Butte, and people would go out there, and there was a big sunrise service. Again, that was the community sunrise service, and that was where everybody went. And so from my perspective, I was looking at saying like, why are we competing with this community sunrise service that everybody knows about that? Everybody loves that is going to there that has a good reputation. And so why are we competing with that? Trying to get our people to come to our church property uh, instead. And so, so my response to that, even for the few people that were disappointed that we weren't doing a sunrise service, but I saw, I was like, you know, um, if you want to start, go to the Sunrise Service. Just go to Lizard View, like, and go experience it with the community. If if they, if you want to do that, that's an important thing for you. Just go there. But we're just not going to do it at Oregon Trail. And, and like I said, and there were families that did, and they went out there, and like I said, that was a great substitute for them. But with that said, what that did for us as a church was it opened up Sunday morning to to be a, a, a invite weekend, and to and I would always encourage and promote it that way within our church. And since I've been here, Easter Sunday has been one of the biggest attended Sundays of our year.
1: Yeah. Well, I picked up a couple words when you were talking there, Brian, uh, like invite. Because um, I think one of the purposes that I would always look at is discipleship, right? I mean, that is really the word that we try to do. We've put funny words in front of there to church them up, assimilation and, and all these other things to yeah. really try to migrate people in this faith. But really what we're trying to do is what Jesus did is make disciples so that they can go out and this thing called the great commission can be fulfilled. Right. Like, yeah. so we both love sports and, and we talk about them all the time off of the grid, but like what you kind of, when you kind of said that scenario, what came to mind was like, you're working with less than your best on those Sundays. Like you're inviting other people to an open house. It would be another terminology or you're inviting other players to an open gym. And you're like, come play with us. We're awesome because we're on team Jesus, but they show up and you have like a skeleton crew. Like you have half of your team injured or they're not there or, you know, heaven forbid in a pandemic, something else has happened. Right. But like, you don't have that opportunity as the Bible would say, iron sharpens iron to have those organic moments where people can really come together and you can give a good representation of, Hey, we're passionate about our community. We love our community. So that was one thing. Another thing that I heard you as you were navigating that was, um, purpose, like what is the purpose? And I think we should constantly be looking in, I put down, uh, evaluate continuously right? Like it doesn't matter if it's something that's great. Like it might even in this instance, it it was maybe you said a sigh of relief for people that it's like, man, we've been keeping this going. This was a rock that we picked up and we've been carrying it for a while. You know, I mean, it wasn't even Roman law of one mile. We took it too. And then we kept going with it. We just didn't even know when to stop. And so I think just kind of maybe knowing when to do those. And even if it's an event that you love that you guys knock out of the park you should be continuously reevaluating that because there might be something that you can make even better. And, and so like, I think our conversation isn't airing on the side of being negative to say that these things are, are, are harsh. I think you brought up a point in traditions of, man, even if we are doing things that we love like Easter or otherwise, like you said, it's a pillar of our faith. We should be looking at these things with a, a filter to say, man, can we use these better? Is there something that we're missing? Maybe there's something in our congregation that allows us to plug somebody else in and help this be part of their ministry that they can cast a net even wider than we can. And so like, I love the conversation in the sense that that's not a a negative piece, but here's what I would say. So, you know, we talk about this with our lead in with um, you know, your background in youth or my background in missions. Well, here's, I'll give you a, a, an analogy about these things that we do in missions, right? So usually in a room like this, we would put together a bunch of people and they would partner up with another person and we would have one stay in the room and one go out of the room. Well, those that go out of the room, they would step out for a few minutes. They wouldn't be privy to what we're telling them but what we would tell the others is um, to be building something in that room that is important to them with Legos. So they would have these Legos and it could be a representation of their faith. So they could build a cross. For example, it could be their house because it's safe. It could be their family pet, like a dog doesn't really matter, but they would do that. What they wouldn't know is we're telling the people that are outside of the room is, okay, when you go back in there now, they're going to be building something. It's going to be value. They're going to love it. And it is going to be something that now you're going to have to go in, have a conversation, have them unpack that story, be a listener to say, so tell me more about this thing. Why is it so important to you? But what the people don't know that we're in the room building is that we've taken out all of the blue Legos. And so now the people that come in, they have blue Legos afforded to them. And so they didn't even know that the blue Lego was missing. They were unaware of that. They had just built something that they care about. Now, the person that is coming back into the room, their objective is to say, oh, well, besides tell me about that, can I I trade one of these things that you have for a blue Lego? And what we're trying to get them to say is, We want to share this gospel with you, which is a blue Lego, but we have to take away or amend what you built or what you hold value in. And you didn't even know that it existed. And so the part there is sharing this message of, in that case, if you want to say it's the Holy Spirit, you could have culturally, you know, tribes or otherwise that have gone on for generations that didn't know Jesus had no idea that he existed. And now you've got to come in and try to present, Hey, this isn't going to tear away completely what you have, but it is going to build upon what you have. And it's going to be even better than you had imagined because you didn't even know that it existed. And so that is kind of one of those things uh, that we use as an example of building and and hands-on and engaging in a conversation uh, from a mission standpoint to say, here's how we're going to interject this and not from a standpoint of like, your goal is not to come in and rip all of their Legos apart and say, Hey, that's really terrible. We don't like what you build. We have a better plan. That's not the objective. And I don't think that that's going to get you far in that word discipleship or any of those other things that we just talked about. So that would be one of the things I guess from a mission standpoint, before we go on in the field, we try to encourage those to engage in a meaningful conversation. And oftentimes It's listening, and uh, I think that's what traditions and stuff do is, again, does that exist for our own fulfillment, or is this an opportunity for us to engage with people outside of our church community, um, with others, to meet them at their point of need and to love on them, and maybe because they don't know that, and it's something as life-changing as eternity, and you already alluded to that is the pivot point at which Jesus did, And not just that he died, but that there was the resurrection and he rose from the death, that death had lost its sting, that he had defeated it. He's the greatest interrupter of all time. He interrupted death for eternity's sake. And so anyhow, yeah, I love that. So, again, I heard this invite, discipleship, purpose, continuously evaluating and, you know, just bringing another perspective and maybe sharing how you can build on something that someone else has, but that, re- that requires some listening
0: on our behalf, right? No, absolutely. And I think, as you said, though, to, to the point is as you're listening, as you're looking at that mission of saying, are we going to be good at discipleship? How are we outreaching to our community? How are we, you know, investing in the people we already have and how helping them grow in their faith? And, and, and we have to take a step back from any event, right, that we do or any tradition we have and ask that question of what are we accomplishing with this, right? What is the win? And again, as we even compare our two churches to and our experiences with Sunrise Service, right, is the transferable concept here for all of us is that whether to, to, to continue or to stop a tradition or a service or an event or whatever it would be, it is not a simple answer. No, because where it seemed like a very simple answer for Oregon Trail, say, nope, sunrise service done where that same answer for you at Fairview very possibly is absolutely the wrong answer. Right. Right. And so, you know, again, what's true in Caldwell, Idaho here, right. Is not true in Seattle with that because, and the reality was again, our experience and relationship with that same event, right. Was from very different places. Again, for Morgan Trail, it was hindering our mission. And we were literally competing with with our community at that time. When I look at Fairview and what you have just been told about, because as you said, you've never seen it and you've never experienced it since you've been there. And it will be your third year there before you can. But to say that, but your, your church is the one that's pivotal in creating that community event for your area of a sunrise service. So where I was coming from Morgan Trail saying, hey, why are we working against what's already being successful in our community? Let's stop doing that. Where you, on the other hand, at, from the Fairview perspective, you are enabling that event for your community. Right. right? And, and, and which actually will help your mission as the church, right? Of uh, Again, of the community and looking at your church and saying, well, what, is, what does that church bring? Why are we glad that Fairview is in our community?
1: Right. Well, another way to look at that, be is to say, like, uh, why would we want to recreate the wheel in your instance? Like, as I look at that, is if there's something else that's going on. And I think sometimes, again, we get inundated with just understanding a need and we jump in uh, instead of knowing that there's others that do that on an ongoing basis. Uh, so. Why recreate the wheel to do something just because when you can support someone that is doing that better, like in an outreach format, um, even well intended, right? Like we've heard stories where, uh, you know, someone wanted to get resources to uh, a place that went through a natural disaster and it could be, you know, in Central America. So they're in Florida. I've heard of stories where people have bought planes so that they can fly in supplies to these areas and get it and i'm like that's great i understand where their hearts coming from but they just put thousands of dollars into a plane when there could be other congregational things that like whether that's outside of you guys i went to one their mission aviation fellowship there might be people that are already doing stuff like that or you know different outreach things a red cross and they already do it so you've just wrapped up $100,000 in a plane to do that, where that $100,000 could have been sent to one of those organizations to make a bigger impact. And so that's what I mean by recreating the wheel. Sometimes with the best intent, uh, the, there's a book called When Helping Hurts. Uh, you know, we're trying yeah. to do the best, but really if we're trying to make that investment with a kingdom mindset, it might be best for us to say, well, it's not our thing. This isn't where we get in on this level. We are the people that come alongside Moses and help hold his hands up. And that might be the best use of our resources and time because we were never intended to start uh, a food pantry at our church. There's one right down the road that does a really good job at it, but we could do a food drive for them to help replenish that or otherwise. And so I think even though we see the need and we can identify it, and you've just stumbled onto another piece that I think we should probably put into the conversation is you have to know your congregation, uh, whether you've been there years or whether you're new like me. And if you don't know your congregation, which in this instance, I, there's going to be ignorance that I haven't seen it, as we said, at year, until year three, is you have to be able to ask the questions so if you don't know those answers, you have to ask the questions and get yourself around the people that know that. And we all know that depends on who you go to, and including what their proximity is to the project, that you could get varying answers, but you have to know your congregation and you have to know the questions to ask. And so I think, you know, that would, you let in here, and I don't know if you're ready to kind of jump into this next part, but that could bleed into those other things. Like you said, in the lead in about even the name of a church, right? Like if you don't solicit their buy-in, it is going to be extremely tough to move them and take them along on the journey because there's going to be some, some people digging in with their heels. There's going to be some fighting. And some of the big indicators that they will see is that you're not honoring them. And so you always want to help honor that part. And then Oftentimes the second wave is like we have had our identity stolen. Like if you come in and you're a new guy with new opportunities or a new woman with new opportunities and you just like take this and you run with it and you don't communicate, even if that's where God is leading you, oftentimes they can feel like you stole their identity. And remember, churches, when done right, are one of the most intimate things. Like these are the places where you come to faith that you live life like acts and those things with people. So you're very transparent and open, um, that you're human, uh, and those things. And if you, they've given up so much vacations and otherwise to sacrifice, they're the people that have shown up long before you got there to be on Saturday work crews and all those different things. So how do you help honor them in the fact that they don't feel like stolen? Now I think, There's always an exception rule, but most of the people that had that, and we're talking legacy pieces here, they didn't do that for the sake of, you know, if it's Sister Martha that's been a part of the church that taught Sunday school to the kids for 45 years. I don't think Sister Martha set out to do that to sow seeds so that she could have her picture up uh, very prominent in the church building. I don't know that to be the case, but most people that I know that do kingdom work, that's not their objective. It goes back to that discipleship and following Jesus. Um, so, you know, transitioning there a little bit again, is even with a name is knowing your congregation, inviting them into fellowship, honoring, and don't allow them to feel like there's a stolen identity that you are disjointed and you're pulling in a different way. And I think you've kind of described some of those layers of how you've done that. So yeah, go ahead, yeah. jump in.
0: Well, no, and, and I think on that point, because like I said, that was the the first question I got from everybody within the church was, are you going to change the name, right? And and one of the reasons I think that even comes up was just because, again, the name of our church is Oregon Trail Church of God, and yet we're in Idaho. And that that's always been the, the biggest question I've always gotten. Well, why is it called Oregon Trail when you're in Idaho? Should, shouldn't you be in Oregon? And, which at first, I just kind of stepped back and said, okay, the Oregon was the destination of the trail. It, like most of the trail was not in Oregon, right? It was in leading to get to Oregon. Right. And, and so again, that's why it's called Oregon trail and we're in Idaho was because the Oregon trail came through Idaho. In fact, right where it came through our Valley is right where our church building is. So that that's why it was named Oregon trail was one of the reasons. The other one was there was a Caldwell church of God and a Milton church of God uh, way back when, and then both of those congregations sold their buildings, Um, and combined their congregations and moved to our present location. And so our location, again, is right off of the freeway, right in between the two communities, Middleton and Caldwell. And and it's purposely not in either town um, because it was a combination of the two. And so they named it Oregon Trail, not just because of the physical location of where it is, because it's where the Oregon Trail came through the Treasure Valley, But also it was a neutral name, right? It wasn't, so everybody could get behind it. And there was, again, you talk about that identity piece. It gave the church a new identity, one, a unified one, right? From those two congregations combining. Love it. And so as we see that though, I think that's the other thing we have to realize, whether it's changing the name or doing any kind of event is not only do we have to talk with those in our church and find out, okay, what memories are tied to that event or to that name, right? What um histories there, what emotions are tied to that, all those kind of things. But I think we should also hear that from the community that we're trying to reach. Right. And to say, are there, are there negative connotations attached to the name of the church? Right. And that was, again, one of the things that, that, I also did right when I got into this community, um, as we, cause we moved on my, my family into this community. We were bought a house and my boys went to the public schools right by our church. And you know, all of those things, my wife was a public school teacher. She got a job out here in the school district in Middleton. I said, so we started to hear and just be in the community. And again, everyone's like, Oh, why'd you move out here? Well, I, cause you know, I'm a new pastor uh, at a church here. And they're like, Oh, what church? And I'd say, when I said Oregon trail, Right, is they all have a reaction. Right. And 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 again, I had to pay attention to that and, and to see that. And that that literally played into, okay, is is that reaction a positive one? Right. Or is it a negative one? If it, if if they hear, if I heard in the community, which I didn't hear, by the way, but if I heard in the community, oh, that church, you know, th- then that's when I'd be like, Oh, okay, what do you know that I need to know? Yeah. Right. Like what, you know, what is it about that church? What, what's the reputation of your church in your community? And because if it's very negative, if there's been a, a bad history there, then changing the name might be the best thing you could do for the mission of the church.
1: Right. I mean, right? you know, could be and, something as simple as like moral yeah. failure or something. Because again, we're all human. If they've gone through that or, or heaven forbid, it could be a financial part that has gone through. So there could be a lot of things that you said I had that down as what is the name associated with? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And and so, so again, when I, like I said, I didn't hear that right when, and now I heard, I heard two different main responses. I mean, from, and again, it was, you know, all over the board, different people, but there was two main things that people said when I said, I'm the new pastor at Oregon trail. Uh, the first thing that came out, the most popular one was, "Oh, that's the church that does mini vikes soccer." Right, and so in our again, we do a three to five year old soccer league in the winter every year. It's been Oregon Trail has done it for twenty some years. Again, it's one of those traditional things, and one of those other things that I was asked a lot: "Hey, are we still going to do mini vikes now?" The um, and again, it's called mini vikes because Vikings is the the Middleton School District um, mascot right? So the community is Viking. So we do mini bikes, right? So that's, that's why it's called that. It literally was connected. It was done for our community from the very beginning. The church had done it. And, and like I said, that was the number one response was, Oh, that's the church that does mini bikes. And again, that was a lot of people in the church asked me not just sunrise service, but are we going to still do mini bikes? Now, the thing I heard from people in the church was very similar things that I heard about the sunrise service, right? Was well, you know, it, it used to be really big, but it's kind of dwindled in years. The last several years, the, they, they struggled to get volunteers. They struggled to do it well. Again, I just kind of heard from the people in the church that they were just tired. right? And, and it was one of the things that, again, I felt like they were kind of kind of hoping that we were going to stop doing it. But it was the number one thing that the community knew about Oregon Trail and the community loved it. And so in that, I saw that and said, okay, that is something I think we need to feed, right? And not only do we need to keep doing it, but we need to do it better, right? Because the foundation's already laid in our community. That's one of the main reputations of our church in the community. And that's something that we need to build on and do it better and grow it so that we can have a deeper reach into the community through a three to five-year-old soccer league, right? And that again, that we just run in our gym in the middle of the winter and, and in that. So, like I said, that where we stopped the sunrise service, mini-bikes was something that we can not only continue to do, but we invested in deeply. Yeah, you know, we put more resources into improving the field setup. Um, you know, again, I sold it to the congregation. I'm like, guys, this is something we have to do. We cannot stop doing mini-bikes, but we have to do it really well because this is a huge outreach opportunity for our church because the community is already behind it, right? And it's one, and again, we hear it still every year. They come and like, oh, I remember playing soccer here. It's so awesome that I get to now bring my kid to play soccer here, right? And, and through that, we've had, again, families now that have committed to come to church and that are a part of our church that started through Minivikes, right? The first time they were ever here was because their kids came to play soccer. And so that thing, now, again, that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to change the name. Right, because I didn't want to lose that reputation in the community for that, and the other side of it was I did, I, and I could tell within our within our congregation that people had uh, they had deep emotional ties to the name Oregon Trail Church of God, right, and and one that um, again that was not worth changing because I felt like that like the name wasn't hurting us at all, um, but it also. I think changing the name of the church would, would have hindered our, it would have created a wound within the congregation that we didn't need. And yeah. so that, so, so again, the, the number one thing was mini soccer, right? That's it. Right. Now the number two thing that I heard in the community, right? When, when, they, when they knew that I was the new pastor at Oregon trail, that the second most popular response was, Oh, that church is still open. And again, that's very telling as well, but because again, our our physical location of our church is very visible, which is, it's just an an incredible asset for the church in our community. But also though, the fact that uh, the building had been closed most of the week, there was not a lot happening in the building. Uh, Again, they were open on Sunday morning. They were doing one service on Sunday morning. Other than that, pretty much the building was empty and because the church was going through that, that Valley, right. The, the building and the grounds on the, on the facility and things were in a dilapidated state. And so the people driving by their observation was, yeah, I'm not sure that that church is even open. Right. Cause they never saw cars there. Right. And the building and the maintenance of it had was, was not great. And, and so, and that, again, what, that's something that, man, we have to again, help change that. Uh, that reputation. And so again, I'm like, Oh yeah, it, it's definitely open. Right. And, um, and then kind of the, the third one was, you know, people would hear that if, if they knew where it was, that was kind of one of those two responses. If they didn't know anything about the church, they would, they would say, Oh, where's that church at? And like I said, with where our church is, everybody who lives in Middleton literally has to drive by our church to get home. Because like, everybody uses the freeway, they get off the freeway, they literally, they get off ramp on the freeway. You are literally looking straight at our building. And yet I would tell them where it was, and they were like, Oh, I didn't even know that was a church. And so that was again one of the other big th- changes we made was not, not not only did we not change the name, but we literally put the name of the church in huge bold letters on every surface outside wall of the church. Right. And so literally when we because when they were sitting on that off ramp, waiting to turn right, right, to go to, to go home. Like I said, their cars literally pointed straight at our building. And there was no signage on that side of the building at all. And so people, if they didn't know it was a church, they would have no idea it was a church. And there was no way for them to even know it was a church. And so that was one of the things we did on the back. It was the back wall of our sanctuary. Uh, It's like a two-story, huge building. And yet on the back of that, we literally put this huge letters, Oregon Trail Church of God. Right. And with, with our logo on there and everything, and, and we did rebrand it. So we did, you know, new logo, new everything, uh, you uh, know, the rebranding stuff. And, and, and again, put in his huge sign on the back of the building and, and that, that again, opened people's eyes to like, wow, there is a church there. And, and that, that was again, huge in people starting to come, which in turn, the more we did. And, and I heard that a lot in the first couple of years of one of the reasons that people came was because they said they drove by and they saw that there was now activity at the church and they wanted to know what was going on.
1: Yeah. No, I think, you know, we face some of those same things. You know, we are in a building and yours is kind of the same way that it it doesn't necessarily look like a historic, like older building, like that a church would be a part of. Yeah. Um, Ours is an old uh, school building. And so, again, we have to then be even more intentional to communicate that that's not merely who we are, because some of the obstacles we go against is we have a child center. We had a school here historically, and you don't want to be just an afterthought, because as Jim talked about when they moved up here, um, they did change their name from Woodland Park Church of God, where they were located closer down there, to Fairview. Which was the name of the elementary that closed down. So it made the relevancy in the neighborhood and some of those things work. But uh, you know, like how do you how do you do that? You don't want to be a church that meets at a school. You want to be a church that serves a community. I mean, you kind yeah. of have to help dictate that narrative. And um, some of the things in that community and knowing that, I jotted down a, another note here was, um, we have to be able to realize why we exist as a church and when we're looking at these things and part of that is again like i said whether that's for self-purpose or otherwise if our part is outreach is i think as we look or if you're maybe a someone listening to this and you're kind of like how do i uh find the next thing maybe maybe i'm not creative Maybe you guys were super creative. Maybe my church is known for nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they fell in that part that you were just describing, Brian. But what I would say is give the community a voice or a seat at the table to help tell you what they need. And then if you do that, you will have not only an opportunity to have follow through, and be the type of people that, oh, those are the Christians that actually heard what I said, and they're walking through that and meeting that point of need, as opposed to what we've done historically, which is, oh, hey, um, we built this really cool thing for you guys. Why don't you come and use it? And they're like, that's not what we were asking for. We didn't ask for that. You're doing it on your own, and now you're trying to uh, have us fit into your mold of what your expectation was. And so, again, I would say give them a seat at the table and how they could help. And then part of that, again, is maybe they present like in Seattle. I don't even know how many needs that they could present to me. But of those, and as you pray about them and see where God is leading you, it's what are you equipped with to meet those? And that's maybe another way as you start to work down that list and be praying for, ah, it's mini bikes. We have a gym. We have these things afforded to us. So that's low lying fruit that we can engage in a meaning way. Our community desires to have this and we can fit that need. And then after you've done that, you've asked them, you've figured out what you're equipped with. I'd say the last thing that even if they don't go completely right, um, but this weird thing that uh, if we are known by our love for one another, then I think you're still doing all right. Like if your intent is pure and you're doing those things now, that's not an out to say, Hey, just love people and mess everything else up. No, there's stewardship that goes with this. And we've talked about ways to engage and roads to get in and literally freeways to get off of and look directly at your church. But, If you can love people and they receive that and they know that it's not angling for any other thing, but to point them in the direction that you care and that this God that you're trying to invite them into a relationship with is your sole motivation, that it's not phony, that it's not fake, it's not a bait and switch because people will get that and they'll pick up on it super quick. And um, then, like you said, at that point, you're doing something that might be at a detriment to your name, your brand, and ultimately to the God that we serve. And so that's the bigger issue is, man, we're ambassadors for Christ. And uh, if we start messing that up, then yeah, but, you know, hopefully, you know, we have pastors or or buddies or or elders or people in our congregation that can be like, excuse me, uh, pastor. I think, (laughs) I think we might be a little bit off track here. We've gone off the rails. Let's get back on. And um, you know, that we have the ability to have that. So those would yeah. be some of the things that I would, I would just interject there on that last part is invite people into the conversation, uh, whether that's, you know, like we've been trying to, do, we've joined our uh, neighborhood city council or um, Maple Leaf council. And then I've had a call last week with our uh, district council member. And so, like, asking our community, how can we help? Where are the needs? How can we serve yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think, again, just to, to wrap that up, and I think which is a great way to wrap up this episode, we, as we go back to our theme verse for this podcast, right? Acts twenty twenty eight. Right, it says, to feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. And I think we have to remember that it is God's church. Yeah. right, And that he, he has appointed us as, as, as pastors, right? As shepherds, as elders, as leaders in our church. Wh- whatever your role is in that, is that again, God's put you there, right? But ultimately it's his church and, and his reputation is what is on the line. Yeah. And so again, represent him well, right? Which includes being a good steward of everything he gives you, right? Of doing everything that he asks you to do and doing it well, doing it with excellence, right? Doing it the best you can and representing him well in the community on how we love each other, how we love our people, how we love those around us. And because hopefully Right? We do give God a good reputation in our community right the, Again whether they're believers or not, whether they're open to Jesus, to who Jesus is or or they even claim to be an atheist and push God away as far as they can, no matter where they are their own hearts are hopefully they have the, the perspective of I'm glad that church is here. Yeah That's humbling to
1: know that we might be the only version of what someone sees of Christ. And so, man, it's being a Christ follower. It's not easy.
0: (laughs) It's not, but
1: but I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we're able to discuss this. And man, I, I guess I'm, I'm praying for those that, that listen to this, that it is an encouragement for them, that they have an opportunity to continue to not only growing the relationship with God and, uh, even in their service and their opportunity of ministry, such a freeing thing. When you can identify what you just said that it is God's and it takes you off the hook from all those other things. It's no longer about you or, or your part, but about who we serve. So that's, that's a great
0: word. Acts twenty twenty eight. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. The Acts 2028 Podcast is a broadcast production of In His Grip Publishing. Our theme music is Achievement by Giovanni Bruno. We'd love to hear from you on our social media accounts or through email. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Acts2028Podcast or send us an email at Acts2028Podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, leave us ratings and reviews, and even give us your email so you can be notified of new episodes. Thank you for listening, and until next time, we hope that you will lead wherever God has put you, and together we can all live out Acts 2028 20, as we serve in the established church.